Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello there and welcome to today's program. Today's edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at School. You know, that usually rolls right off my tongue, but I guess uh, not today. Um, Welcome to the program. Glad you were able to listen in. Um, Lots to talk about today. Um, We'll see if we get any callers today. We usually don't, but the number is 646-727-2691. Let me think here. Next week, April 30th, is an Anytown High School program. And we only have uh, one of those left after next week. But the truth is, we only have... um, Four or five programs left for the rest of the school year. We go radio silent in June, July, and August. Um, well, that seems to make sense, given that uh, schools tend to uh, uh, take a break over the summer. Uh, we do, too, on this program. So there aren't a whole lot of programs left for you to call in and get your questions answered or talk about the kids who are giving you trouble, etc. But Anytown's next week. We have the parents panel the week after that. We have another Anytown program after that. So not a whole lot of um, opportunity left for questions, comments, um, help. And then, of course, we'll start up again in the fall. Um, Now, there's been a lot in the news media over the last week. Three things that I can think of before we turn our attention to calls, if there are any. 646-727-2691, there's that number again. Calls, if there are any, and emails, which I've uh, got a few piled up here. A few things in the news this week, though. We've got another kid who made the news media, uh, an elementary school student who made the news media, having been uh, led out of school in handcuffs. We have um, another student who has died, a a child, an adolescent who has died in a uh, restraint. Um, That story can be found in the good and bad news section on the Lives in the Balance website. And we have a news media coming out, a news story, a research article coming out of Scandinavia telling us that the vast majority of restraints that are uh, 
used in restrictive therapeutic facilities are initiated are, are uh, can be accounted for by actions of the staff, not actions of the kid. Boy, you know, if you if you if you look at that good and bad news section on the Lives in the Balance website, um, you'll it's, it's rather compelling that um, number one we got to we got to start doing some things differently. Things can't stay the way they are, uh, and number two, there are some folks who realize that and are trying to do something about that. Those are just three stories from this week. These stories come in all the time. And, of course, Lives in the Balance is trying to do its part when we see something going on out there that shouldn't be going on out there. We uh, take action. Read about that in the Take Action, Taking Action section of the Lives in the Balance website. Um, We think that when people are behaving in ways that are unenlightened, toward kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges that they need to be enlightened, not confronted, not in an adversarial way, but enlightened. And uh, by golly, that's what we're doing. Uh, Often we send them a Lives in the Balance care package, and if you uh, know someone who needs to receive a Lives in the Balance care package... Uh, you can get on the care package section of the Lives in the Balance website and um, send it to them. It's one of these very, very few things on the Lives in the Balance website that cost money. Unfortunately, we cannot afford to do those for free, but virtually everything else on the Lives in the Balance website is free. If you want a T-shirt, that's not free. If you want a bumper sticker, that's not free. If you want to send a care package, that's not free. Everything else, free. It's called giving away collaborative problem solving for free. And um, in my opinion, that's the way it should be. All right, so one more time that call-in number before I turn to email. Callers take priority on this program, so if you have a question or a comment or want to talk about a particular student that you're struggling with, today's your day, 646-727-2691. Next week's in any town, so you won't be able to call in next week. The following week is a... um, Educators Panel Week, we did have, our, of course, our first caller on that program a few weeks ago, a kid who called, not only a first-time caller for the uh, Parents Panel, but uh, for the Educators Panel, but also the first time that um, we had a kid call our program. That was cool. All right, so here's our first email question. Dr. Green, I'm the principal of an elementary school. When my teachers send a behaviorally challenging student to my office for discipline, how can I do plan B when that's not what the teachers are expecting? That's the question. Here's the answer. Uh, Surprise them. Well, better not surprise them. You know, in many cases, the student is being sent down to the office, a discipline referral as it's known, because, um, well, a problem has erupted in the classroom. And um, 
that problem that quote-unquote erupted was probably highly predictable in the first place. So now, regrettably, we find ourselves stuck in the heat of the moment and a classroom teacher who's got 20 or 30 other kids in there who, because he or she is stuck in the heat of the moment, has only lousy options. Now, some options are lousier than others. Uh, The classroom teacher could do something that could make it worse and set the stage for the student who's upset to become not only upset but also unsafe. But that's why the best advice anybody really has to offer in the heat of the moment is defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. But the main theme here is that problems don't erupt. We know they're coming. But we only know they're coming if we've organized the effort in a way that has people in the building proactively having discussions, especially early on about our frequent flyers in our building, the kids who are behaviorally challenging most often, discussions using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems that you'll find in the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website. When we identify students lagging skills proactively, when we identify the very specific conditions in which students are challenging I call those unsolved problems proactively, then those unsolved problems, the conditions in which the student is having difficulty, no longer qualify as eruptions. They no longer qualify as surprises. They no longer pop up. They are highly predictable. So you see the answer to the question what should I do when a student is sent down to me, is actually a little bit more complicated. I promise to answer that question, but the the answer to that question is a little bit more complicated than just do plan B. The answer is we've got a lot of groundwork to do to set the stage so that students aren't being sent to the office for for discipline on an emergent basis in the first place. That means having discussions with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as the discussion guide so that we can organize the effort, make sure we have the right lenses on, that's lagging skills, make sure that we have the unsolved problems well identified in very specific terms prioritize what unsolved problems we're working on right now and what unsolved problems we're not working on right now. The ones we're working on, those are our big fish. That's plan B. The ones we're not working on right now, our lower priorities, those are plan C. And now a classroom teacher has not been put in the extremely difficult position of having to make a quick decision on his or her feet about how to handle a particular issue that has now erupted or popped up in the classroom because problems don't erupt and pop up in the classroom very often. 
I've become accustomed to saying that unsolved problems are 99.9% predictable. If they're predictable, we're not waiting for them to pop up. We are identifying them, prioritizing them, and if it's a high priority, solving them proactively. Who's going to do that? All right, well, now here's another organizational piece. Um, If nobody in the building knows anything about collaborative problem solving except the disciplinarian, we got trouble. This is not this is not going to fly. What we need to do is we need to organize ourselves a core group, a group of people who have either been handpicked or volunteered or however we form our core group and yes this is a leadership role to form a core group. People are going to start working on collaborative problem solving and organizing the effort right from the word go. They're going to be the ones who meet most frequently to try to get good at this. They're the ones who are going to get good at using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems first. They're the ones who are going to get good at using plan B first. And um, I don't know, in my experience, after two or three months, they're pretty, well, they're real good at using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. My recommendation is that you tape your meetings in which you are using the LSIP early on and let people uh, in the core group listen to those recordings so you can troubleshoot and fine-tune and get each other's feedback. Team effort. I don't know, within five, six, seven weeks, everybody in the core group ought to be pretty good at using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Then, everybody in the core group starts using Plan B and getting good at it and recording it, sharing the recording with the core group, getting feedback, tuning it up. After not too much longer, people in the core group are pretty good at doing Plan B, and then those members of the core group serve as mentors when the core group starts to contemplate how to help everybody in the building start solving problems with students collaboratively. Uh, Now it becomes clear why the answer to that question, what should I do when a student gets sent to my office, uh, isn't quite so simple. The goal is to have everybody in the building doing Plan B. And then the school disciplinarian is in a position, when a student does get sent to the office, the school disciplinarian does the empathy step of Plan B, gathers information from the student so as to understand the student's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem that got him sent to the office in the first place. But 
here's the good news and the bad news. That's as far as you can go. The school disciplinarian isn't the person who sent the kid to the office. The school disciplinarian is most of the time not the person who was having a problem with the student. That's somebody else. Somebody else who probably should have done plan B proactively with the student on the unsolved problem that caused things to go a little hairy in a classroom. So if, with all of that effort being organized, a student still gets sent to the office, the disciplinarian can do the empathy step. The disciplinarian can gather information from the student about his concern or perspective on the unsolved problem that got him sent to the office. But, tempting though it might be, the disciplinarian cannot do the define the problem step. How can the disciplinarian do the define the problem step? That's where the concern or perspective of the other party is entered into consideration, and the school disciplinarian is not the other party. The person who sent the kid to the office is the other party. So now... After having done the empathy step with the student and made some determinations about stability and the readiness of the student to go back to class, the student goes back to class and an email is sent to the person who sent the kid to the office in the first place. And what does the email say? When are we going to get together to finish Plan B? With the old Boyd here who got sent to the office but I don't know enough about your concern or perspective to do Plan B with him, and I certainly wouldn't be so presumptuous as to decide what kinds of solutions are realistic and mutually satisfactory for you and Boyd. That's between you and Boyd. I, the school disciplinarian, am just a problem-solving facilitator. That's the role of the assistant principal or principal in the school building. Problem-solving facilitator. But you can't do plan B all the way through because if the other party isn't with the kid when he gets sent to the office, then can't do the define the problem step. Can't do the invitation step. Once again, you couldn't conceivably be able to figure out whether a solution is realistic and mutually satisfactory for the two parties who are involved in this problem. Nope. The best you can do is facilitate another meeting in which Plan B would be seen through with both of the concerned parties present. How do you reduce discipline referrals in a school building? How does collaborative problem solving do that? Well, it does that by helping everybody in the building get good at doing plan B. And then problems are being solved outside of the office. And staff start to recognize, sometimes 
explicitly, sometimes implicitly, that the person who's been doing the problem solving for the building in terms of challenging behaviors, the school disciplinarian, can't do the empathy step, can't do anything more than the empathy step if a kid should happen to get sent down to the office and is only going to facilitate plan B so that that problem can ultimately get solved. I've had classroom teachers in in schools where assistant principals were conducting themselves in this manner say to me, what's the point in sending the kid to the office? Uh, The assistant principal is simply going to involve me in a collaborative problem-solving discussion. I don't need the assistant principal to have a collaborative problem-solving discussion. I can do that on my own. So what's the point in sending the kid to the office anymore? You know, I didn't read enough about the uh, story of the girl who was handcuffed and taken out of school because she had acted up. I'm just... So I don't know that I could tell you what unsolved problem set in motion her challenging episode, but that's key piece of information number one. Key piece of information number two, what's her concern or perspective on that unsolved problem once it's identified? Key piece of information number three, not possible if the only person in the office is the girl, student, what's the concern or perspective of the person who sent her to the office? Key piece of information number four, uh, what's a realistic and mutually satisfactory solution to the problem that got her sent to the office in the first place? Once that problem is solved, She's no longer a statistic. She's no longer a discipline referral. She's no longer getting let out of the school in handcuffs. I hope that answered the question. Let me be perfectly explicit. What can you do when a kid gets sent to your office for discipline? If your school is well in the midst of doing collaborative problem solving and people are going to know what you're doing, do the empathy step and then facilitate a meeting so that the problem that got the student sent to the office gets solved. If your school has yet to begin its journey on the collaborative problem solving highway, and it's a journey. And there are many exits at which schools get off, and then we got to help them get back on the highway again. Many teachers, classroom teachers, who want to get on the bus, and many who don't. But every school needs to be on a journey toward improving the way it understands and helps the behaviorally challenging students who are in that building. If your building hasn't begun that journey yet and you're a school disciplinarian, which means you're a school leader, you got yourself a core group to form. Good luck on the journey. Call this program if you need help.
Here's another email. Pull it up here. This is from a parent, but I'm answering on the uh, program for educators because it uh, really relates to school. Dr. Green, my daughter has been diagnosed last year with ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, at the severe level. Although I have had limited troubles with her behavior at home, the issues have always been quite severe at school. Her psychiatrist has prescribed, well, I'm not going to name the medicines, but one is a stimulant medication and one is a mood stabilizer, to help her manage at school, which, and she started taking those medications uh, at the end of last school year. Without a doubt, she would no longer be in school if he had not prescribed the mood stabilizer. It has helped tremendously with her behavior. Although I have tried to be actively involved with the school, I find that I struggle repeatedly with the same issues from school personnel. For the last several years, my daughter was displaying verbal and physical aggression at school and refusing to stay within the classroom. The school's solution was to just let her remain in a small room with a child and youth worker, have limited instruction, and just promote her through to the next grade, year to year. Unfortunately, she is now so far behind academically, I doubt she is at a grade four level, even though she is almost finished grade six. She is incapable of completing most of her work, which contributes to her frustration level and results in more behavioral issues. The plan has always been to get her diagnosed, medicated appropriately, reintegrate her into the classroom setting, and monitor the effectiveness of the medication. Now I find out that she has not been in the classroom for at least three months and sitting alone and isolated in a small room again. I suspect this is the easiest way for the school to manage her. Her doctor and I are appalled at the school's behavior. They never let me know that she was not in class and she has not been getting any instruction in any courses directly from her grade six teacher. It is impossible to determine the effectiveness of her medication levels if she is not in the environment in which it is intended to help. My question is this. To have successful academic achievement, is it better to have ODD, ADHD children integrated in the regular classroom? Not only so they do not miss out on their education, but to help them acquire the social and coping skills they will need to have in life. Or is it better to have them isolated in a quiet room away from the external stimuli that they find distracting. Her teacher tells me that he gets more work from her when she is alone in the room, working slowly with her child youth worker. This is not reflected in grades, nor do I think it's appropriate for her to be taught by someone who is not a teacher. My main concern is that although she has a child youth worker with her on a daily basis now, In Canada, which is where this person is apparently writing from, yes, indeed, there are no child youth workers at the high school level. In two short years, she will enter, be entering grade nine, and I fear she will neither have the academic or social skills to be successful. I plan on having several more meetings with the school in the coming weeks. I find that if I do not monitor them, they regularly choose the easy way out. I find that they are lacking information in regard to children with ODD. 
what is the best way to educate the educators on collaborative problem solving? Thank you in advance. You're welcome. Let's see how I do here. But let's start at the top. As uh, you may know, if you've been listening to this program at all, I suppose um, I talk about this a fair amount, Oppositional Defiant Disorder is a list of behaviors, including uh, excessive tantrums, defying adult rules and requests, refusing to do what one is told. ADHD is another list of behaviors, including inattention, distractibility, poor impulse control, hyperactivity. Now you're saying that these are at the severe level, and that says to me that your daughter is very oppositional. Sometimes uh, extreme or severe with oppositional defined disorder also refers to what the child is doing when he or she is being oppositional. And so maybe your daughter does things that could be physically dangerous. You did mention physical aggression, refusing to stay in the classroom, verbal aggression. Those are pretty far down the spectrum of looking bad. I'm glad that you have medication helping. But what I don't have the perfect sense of is um, the degree to which she still looks, given the medications that she's on, inattentive, hyperactive, and impulsive, and to what degree the medication has reduced the oppositional refusing to do what she's told, defying adult rules and requests, and throwing a lot of tantrums. But now she's behind academically. So we've got another interesting variable thrown into mix. I must say, most of the time I see kids being oppositional at school, it is about an academic issue, so it's a little bit hard to decipher the degree to which the academic difficulties are due to uh, academic issues that predated her being placed in an isolated academic environment or from the fact that she has missed quite a bit of material because she's been out of the general education classroom so long. I'm betting, just my take on things, is that she uh, probably had some academic issues even before she started missing out on the class material, and now that's even worse, probably both, but I don't know enough to come to a hard conclusion about that. Now the questions. Should she be isolated in a small classroom? Well, the interesting thing is, Um, I have a different question. Uh, Does the school feel equipped? If her medication is working, we really don't know who we have here. Is it the case that she's 
even with the medication working, which you're telling me that it is, I'll take you at your word, even with the medication working, she's still placed in a isolated classroom? You're right. They won't be able to figure out if she can handle the general ed classroom. And we won't get a good read. Mm, we may not get a good read on the medication unless, at least slowly but surely, people start taking a look at whether she's now better able to handle the general ed environment, especially given that the current type of environment may not be available to you when she gets to the high school. It is not good that you were uninformed that your daughter was not in class and not good that you weren't informed that she wasn't getting any instruction in any courses directly from her sixth-grade teacher. That's not good. That's, that's a meeting. But you've met with them already. Now to your big question... Is it better to have ODD, ADHD children integrated into the regular classroom? Well, number one, there are many kids who carry those diagnoses who are integrated into the regular classroom. The school may know that many of those kids are inattentive, hyperactive, and impulsive, or some combination of those, but may not know that the child is oppositional because that behavior sometimes is only happening at home. So they don't know. As I always say when I'm speaking to educators, I always tell them that there are many, many more oppositional kids in their midst than they even know about because the prototypical manifestation, in my experience, of oppositional defiant disorder is that it occurs primarily at home and not at school. Of course, that leads to some interesting conclusion on the part of the educators, but namely that that proves that the school has its disciplinary act together while the folks at home do not. That's not accurate. But I guess the bottom line is there are a lot of kids who are diagnosed with ODD and ADHD who are in regular classrooms because they aren't exhibiting their tantrums and refusing to do as they're told and defying adult rules and requests at school, only at home. Your daughter... Um, a little at home, it sounds like. A lot at school. A lot at school. I wonder if that says anything about the demands that are being placed upon her at school. Of course, you know when kids look oppositional, uh, at the exact same times when they look anxious, at the exact same times when they look irritable, the exact same times that they look frustrated, when the demands being placed upon them outstrip the skills they have to respond adaptively to those demands, that your daughter is looking worse at school than at home might cause some to leap to the conclusion, well, that's because you're not putting any demands on her at home, and you'd know best if that's true, but it could very well speak to the fact that there are demands being placed upon her at school that are not being placed upon her at home all kinds of social demands at school that may not be present at home, all kinds of academic demands at school that may not be present at home, all kinds of transitions required at school that are not demanded at home.
your daughter is oppositional at school, should she be integrated in the regular classroom? Yes, as soon as you are confident that that'll go well. If it's going to go poorly, and you know that ahead of time, I'm not sure it's worth it. Of course she should be in the regular classroom. But do the folks at school know how to handle your daughter? Do, do they, well, have they organized their effort in the way that I described with the first email that I covered today? They know about collaborative problem solving. It sounds like you're trying to help them. No. They understand your daughter well. It sounds like you're trying to help them understand your daughter well. Well, so here's the deal. There is no generic answer to uh, your question. To have successful academic achievement, is it better to have ODD, ADHD children integrated in the regular classroom? There's no generic answer. Uh, least restrictive environment says it's always the goal to have the student in the least restrictive environment, and the least restrictive environment is the regular classroom. But I, since there's no generic answer to that question, we need to answer it for your daughter, and we need a few different ingredients. Um, do the folks at school have the requisite knowledge to understand your daughter's difficulties and handle her appropriately? If not, can they be trained? If not, is there a program that might be better for your daughter than the present school? And number two, is your daughter, has the medication worked well enough or is your daughter able to handle the demands of a regular ed classroom with people knowing what they're doing? Those are your two ingredients those are the two things I would take into account, not for all ODD, ADHD children, but for your very challenging daughter who deserves better. If they are lacking information on behaviorally challenging kids, I do have a few ideas for you. There's um, a book that many schools are using for book study. It's called Lost at School. I recommend it highly. There's the Lives in the Balance website, livesinthebalance.org, where, as you heard at the beginning of the program, there is just a boatload of free programming on understanding and um, helping behaviorally challenging kids. And, of course, there's this radio program where um, we do this every week. And most of those resources that I just mentioned are free. And if we had 
more schools doing what I've described on today's program, then I wouldn't have to start the program talking about kids who got handcuffed and let out of school. We wouldn't have to be hearing about or reading about yet another child or adolescent who died in the midst of being restrained We'd be over that stuff. But we're not over that stuff yet. And that's why there's still a need for lives in a balance. And maybe that's where you come in. If you're an educator and you're working in a school that is still not very enlightened about why behaviorally challenging students are challenging and what can be done differently in our school discipline program so that we help them better than we often do help them. Um, Somehow or another, get the people in your building to read Lost at School, find the Lives in a Balance website, start a book study, talk with your school disciplinarians, find other parties of like mind and See if you can get the ball rolling. There are lives in the balance. And that's why the nonprofit that I founded is called that, because there are lives in the balance. If you are the parent of a behaviorally challenging student and you're not okay with how people in your child's school are understanding and trying to help your child, um, figure out who in the building is going to be most receptive to helping you out with that. Try to keep it from becoming adversarial. Try to keep it from becoming contentious. Use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to achieve a consensus on the fact that your child is lacking skills, not motivation, and that therefore motivational strategies that typify most school discipline programs really wouldn't make much sense at all and actually could set the stage to make things worse. Bend over backwards to work with them. I know that it's not always easy and sometimes, quite frankly, it's not even always possible, but it's possible more often than it happens. And if you need any help along the way, That's why there's lives in the balance. So do let us help you. If you want to send me an email, go to the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website and um, direct that message to me, and I'll respond on the program. If there's something Lives in the Balance can help you out with, uh, just go to the same contact form, but you're going to designating a different recipient, and you'll hear back from us. In the meantime, we are... Uh, if you got any ideas for content, new content, on the Lives in the Balance website, let us know. We're open to new ideas. We are uh, out of time for today's program. Don't forget, uh, 
Anytown High School next week. That's April 30, 2012. Uh, educators panel the week after that. I hope that you have found today's program to be uh, informative and helpful. That's why we do this every week except during the summer. And uh, I'll be back again next week. In the meantime, take care.